Navigating the travel world doesn't have to be complicated. Whether you want to hack your points and miles, figure out where to travel next, or you just need advice on an ethical dilemma. I'm Aislinn Green, host of Unpacked by Afar. And in the brand new season, we are unpacking the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry, one conversation at a time. Topics like the sexiness of travel insurance and the perils of quote-unquote bad tourism, and even the secrets to flying with children and not losing your mind in the process. Listen to Unpacked by Afar wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is a Secret Life of Canada crash course, just a little bit of history. This is Isabella by Jimi Hendrix. He's basically considered to be one of the best electric guitar players of all time. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad was actually supposed to see Jimmy play when he opened for the Monkees in the late 60s. Really? But my Aunt Lorraine at the time, she was going to take him. She didn't think Jimmy was age appropriate for my then 10-year-old father. Oh, Aunt Lorraine, Mm -hmm. you really, that was a misstep. I'm sorry. Oh, your dad missed out. I know. I I think my dad's still processing it currently. (laughs) Um, But I also know that Jimi Hendrix's father, uh, they identified as part Cherokee. I mean, and he's also an amazing guitar player who's influenced so many musicians. That's right. But who and what influenced the great Jimi Hendrix, you ask? I didn't ask, but I'm curious. Okay, well, thank you. His grandmother, for one, Nora Hendricks. And where did Nora live, you ask? Again, you can just tell me. I did. <laughs> thank you for asking again. She lived in Vancouver in a black neighborhood called Hogan's Alley. Really? I'm surprised that any of his relatives lived in Canada. I just assumed they were American. Yeah, they did. Actually, his grandparents, Nora and Ross Hendricks, moved to Vancouver in around 1912. They were vaudeville performers who regularly toured across the U.S., One of those tours went bankrupt and they got stuck in Seattle. Yeah, so they did what any person would do, which is fled Seattle and moved to B.C. (laughs) That's right. They were actually hoping for work and they found it. All five of their children were born in Canada. One of their sons, Al Hendricks, the person you were talking about Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. identifies Cherokee, that is the father of Jimi Hendrix. So did this mean that Jimi Hendrix... Spent time in Vancouver. Yeah, he did. He actually lived in Vancouver for a bit when he was a kid. Mm. And for a short time, he was even enrolled at the Dawson Elementary School on Burrard Street. It's not there anymore, but I think there's a plaque. Hogan's Alley was a big part of his formative years because his grandmother, Nora, was such a huge fixture in the community. Okay, but but I'm curious, how did this black community come to be in B.C.? So let's rewind a bit to the 1850s. Black people started to migrate to B.C. because, you know, a lot of things, but the prospect of mining gold, of course, that was a big thing. Mm -hmm. And really because of the discrimination they were facing in the U.S., Not that life in Canada was discrimination-free either, obviously. At the time, there was a ranking done in Canada on prospective immigrants, and black people were listed at the bottom. But people came anyway, many as homesteaders, hoping that there would be this opportunity to get land. And remember, anytime there are people migrating to a place during these times, it meant displacement of Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Things were tense between colonists and many coastal First Nations for many reasons, including offers of, quote unquote, free homesteads, mm-hmm. free land, free land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Red, red flag. <laughs> Big red, red flag. flag. Yeah. Yeah. So how many African-Americans came during this time? 
Well, it's estimated around 800 Black people moved to Vancouver Island, first of all. Um, Many stuck it out for a while, but then moved back to the States. And then by around the early 1900s, people who remained began moving to Vancouver, uh, mostly for work. Mm -hmm. Most of them congregated in this East End neighborhood called Strathcona. In one part of Strathcona, there was this intersection, a lane that residents called Hogan's Alley. And so this was specifically a black neighborhood? No, it was it was close to Chinatown. So there were Asian people living there. There were many Italian people who lived there as well. But specifically, this is where the black community congregated. And it was a bustling place full of shops and music joints and the very famous Vise Chicken and Steakhouse. So I can tell already that <laughs> that is a place I would have hung out at. It, it does sound like a place for you, I admit, and yeah. actually me as well. I mean, most people wanted to hang out there, including including Jimi Hendrix, because Nora Hendrix actually worked there. Um, Jimmy's parents were often not in a great place emotionally or financially. He had a really hard upbringing, and his parents had moved up to the States. They were really struggling. So when times were tough, they would send him up to Vancouver to stay with Nora. And Jimmy's grandmother was hired by the restaurant's owner, uh, Vi Moore. She started this diner in the 40s. Vi was actually born on Salt Spring Island and then eventually moved to Vancouver. And the Chicken and Steakhouse was like this really well-known spot for musicians. And the list of people who came in there is is very long and amazing. Jazz greats like Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Mm -hmm. Ella Fitzgerald. Like there's a very long list. Um, And there are also stories that young Jimi Hendrix used to busk outside the restaurant. I don't know if that's true. But it really paints a a beautiful scene. So a young Jimi Hendrix may have been rubbing shoulders with these amazing musicians. He could have, yeah. But it really depends on how late he was allowed to stay up because Vise was a late, like a late, late night diner. It was known to be open until five in the morning. (laughs) Again, I would totally, I would hang out here. (laughs) Everything I read about this place, I was like, this is my place. The restaurant operated for 31 years and based on the menu, You're going to be able to tell why. Here is a clip from The Black Strathcona Project, which was a series of 10 short films highlighting stories from the neighborhood. This is Bertha Clark you're about to hear. She's Vi's granddaughter, and she's describing the menu. From the corner of Maine to the alley on Union, that's where you would find the spot. Vi's chicken and steaks was pretty, pretty hot. My grandma owned the joint Mm -hmm. and ran it first class, too. T-bones, porterhouse, filet mignons, and a half a chicken was the meat on the menu. Biscuits that was homemade, baked fresh every day, melt in your mouth and sold out quick, because grandma didn't play, that's right. She served it with mushrooms, onions, peas, salad, and fries. And that was the complete menu when you came to Vise, yeah. That sounds so good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) God, you can also just feel why this was the spot, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, there was amazing food in Hogan's Alley. What else was going on? There was so much going on in this neighborhood. There was a really strong church, kind of as the centerpiece, Mm -hmm. the African Methodist Fountain Chapel Church. It was a community hub. There were always events there. And it was just such an important part of this community. And who was responsible for its creation, you ask? Well, I get this game now, so I think I know the answer, and it's Nora Hendricks. That is correct. Yeah, Nora was one of the leaders who helped the church come to be. She's quoted as saying in an interview, nobody had ventured out to try and get a church for their own. 
So she went and did it. After a couple of years of fundraising, the black residents of Hogan's Alley were able to buy the church in 1918. And one of the really interesting details I found about this church is that throughout the years, the congregants rallied together to support several men who were victims of police brutality. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. I've been to Vancouver a bunch and I can't believe I never went to Hogan's Alley. Well, you didn't because it no longer exists. Like, oh. There's nothing really there. So, you know, don't feel okay. bad. I mean, feel bad because yeah, there's nothing there, but don't feel bad for not going there. Okay. You know, unfortunately for years, the residents faced a lot of pressure from the city because the neighborhood was seen to be, you know, impoverished mm. and an eyesore. The city's officials planned to build subsidized housing, and then they just eventually planned to clear the neighborhood for development. So gentrification was a thing even then. I feel like that should be a heritage moment. <laughs> gentrification? <laughs> oh my God, it would be multiple. It would yes. be very long because it's happening everywhere. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, and it's always the black neighborhood that cities want to seem to improve. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, by the 1940s and 50s, the plans were being put in place to change the neighborhood. And folks began to get a sense that their homes would soon be gone and began to leave. By the late 1960s, the neighborhood had been completely demolished and replaced with new affordable housing no apart viaducts viaducts the georgia and dunsmere viaducts oh man so an overpass replaced all of this life this community this restaurant i never got to go to that is brutal (laughs) i know yeah it's terrible and nora saw all of this happen to hogan's alley she died at 100 in 1984 so she witnessed the rise and fall of this neighborhood from, you know, between the early 1900s to the late 1960s. And it must have been really hard because she saw the neighborhood go. And then a few years later, Jimmy died. Yes. After years of struggling with substance abuse, Jimi Hendrix passed away in 1970 at 27 years old. After the neighborhood was replaced by the freeway, it just never came back. The community dispersed and there was never really another predominantly black neighborhood in Vancouver. But yes, I, I was hoping for a but. <laughs> yes, but. But the restaurant came back. Sorry. <laughs> let, let the restaurant really go. fixated here. But it was never forgotten by the community. And when Vancouver decided that it was time to tear down the viaducts, people staged a sit-in in the freeway, like at the freeway, to remind the city of what had been lost when they built the things in the first place. Mm. Some of the folks from the protests were part of the Hogan's Alley Society, a group that's been working to bring recognition to the historic neighborhood. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it is. Actually, when I looked on their website, the society states that one of their main priorities is to create economic, political, social, and cultural assets for people of African descent and to construct spaces that promote intergenerational linkages through community and affordability, which is a good goal. Mm -hmm. Because of their work, the building at 258 Union Street is now known as... Nora Hendricks Place. Oh. Isn't that nice? Yeah, that's nice. They developed this complex in partnership with PHS Community Services and the city, and it holds 52 temporary modular homes for Black and Indigenous people who are waiting for permanent housing. So a piece of Hogan's Alley is coming back. That's very cool. Uh, If listeners want to learn more about what's happening, you can visit hogansalleysociety.org. Yes, and now I think we should leave everyone with one of the songs that Jimi Hendrix played when he came to Vancouver in September of 1968. Hello, Canada, how you doing? 
The Jimi Hendrix experience at Pacific Stadium was sold out that night, and who was there in the middle of it all but Nora, watching Jimi perform? My family's there too. I dedicate the whole show and everything to them. People say that during the show, he pointed right at her and began to play the now iconic Foxy Lady. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.